As I said, uh, for a preacher on Sunday, especially on Christmas Sunday, uh, there's just a tiny bit of pressure. Everybody wants to hear the word, but we all know that dinner's cooking. Um, you know, people are trying to be helpful and encouraging. Uh, you know, people this morning saying, hey, we're looking forward to the, the message and uh, everything like that. And we appreciate appreciate what you're doing, working, you know, on Christmas Day and appreciate that. And uh, there was a, a real excited little kid, I won't mention any names, came up to me and came down and said, come down here. And so I got down real close and uh, they said, you know, I have presents at home, right? <laughs> so just just a little bit of pressure on the preacher, but uh, we'll do our best to uh, to land the plane and, and do so in a timely manner. We've been in a series on the incarnation called God with us. And this series has really been, and we talked this morning about our gift to you. This series is about God's gift to us, the greatest gift he could possibly give, the greatest gift ever given uh, to man on earth. And, and that account is, of course, in all of the Gospels, but we've been looking specifically at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And so if you're turning in your Bibles, you want to turn there. John chapter 1, we've, we've talked about first Jesus was the light in the darkness. He came uh, to a dark world. He came as the light of the world. And then we said that Jesus came as the word in the flesh. Uh, John goes all the way back to the beginning. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Today... We're looking at a single verse, and it's found in chapter 1, verse 29. And as has been the custom for this series, I've asked you to stand. So I'm going to ask you to stand now. That'll give you a little bit of chance to kind of get a, a first inning stretch. So please stand with me as we read from God's Word, John chapter 1, verse 29. Let's read it together. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You may be seated. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you know that John the Baptist was Jesus' predecessor. And that had been the truth all the way from, you know, in utero with John. He was, he was, he was the one that leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb because of who Jesus was. And that was John's job was not to be the focus, but to, to point us to the light, to show us who Jesus was, to be a witness to who his cousin Jesus really was. He wasn't just any ordinary Jewish rabbi, but that he was indeed the Son of God. Perhaps this is a little bit unusual to use the phrase Lamb of God. In our culture today, uh, we, we don't have lamb. I mean, I guess I've had lamb. Uh, usually, it, I mean, it's been eating lamb. That's been the only time I've been around or close to a lamb. Uh, my guess is, unless you are, are in the agricultural world, that's probably the same for you. But in their world, they were surrounded by sheep and goats and lambs. And so... When, G when John said, behold, the Lamb of God, he was calling our attention to something very, very special. And so we're going to look at that today, albeit briefly, and I want us to think about it in a couple of ways. 
First, consider this. This lamb was from God. Jesus said, or John said, behold, the lamb of God. As I said, they had lots of lambs in that culture. Uh, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was a place, was a farming community known for raising sheep and lambs and all of the things necessary for the sacrifices that were made. But, but John here says he is no ordinary lamb. He's someone special. Now, this picture from John the Baptist reminded me of an account in Genesis. I want you to turn in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Genesis chapter 22 is past the time when God created the world and past the time when sin entered the world and past the time where God had to destroy the world by flood. And it's now to a time where God's making a, a covenant, an arrangement with a special man named Abraham. And uh, before he establishes that covenant, God asks Abraham to do something unimaginably hard. He asks Abraham to offer his own son. Now, now that would be hard enough, but if you know the backstory, you un- you understand that how long Abram and Sarah had been waiting and waiting and waiting to have their own child that God had promised, a son. And yet, after they have this, receive this promise, God does something very unusual, and he asks him to offer up Isaac. I want you to follow along with me in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Verse 3, we see Abraham's faith. So, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, God, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood on the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went on, the both of them, together. Now imagine what's going through Abraham's mind. What he has to do is an unimaginable sacrifice by a father, by a man of faith. Verse 7, then Isaac asks, he really, no doubt, pierces his heart with the question. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. You see, Isaac no doubt had seen Abraham made sacrifices before. He knew the process. He understood by watching his father what was needed. He saw two of the three things, but having gone on such a long journey, he couldn't understand where the sacrifice was. He says, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now pause with Abraham for a moment. And ask yourself, Dad, 
how you answer such a question. I can't imagine any better answer than what Abraham gave. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went on together. Now, I'm not going to finish the rest of that story. I just want to call to your attention that Abraham, centuries before Jesus, prophesied about Jesus. First, in the direct way, by a loving father giving his only son in sacrifice. The second is that the son, though he questioned, as just as Abraham answered, God would provide the lamb. Now, this is important when we think about religion in general. Every other religion except Christianity is this. You do good works, you stack up your good deeds, you check off your list, you climb your way to God, you earn your way into His good graces. But Christianity is oh so different because God did for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. There wasn't a sacrifice sufficient to pay for our sins. That there wasn't blood clean enough to atone for the sin of you and I. We, like Isaac, must helplessly wonder, where is the lamb? And we listen to the answer of Abraham that God himself would provide the lamb. Not one that we provided, not one that we earned, not one that we, that we put together, not sacrifice of our own making, for that would be insufficient. But instead, the sacrifice would be provided by God, sufficient thereof to pay the price required. You see, under the law, so many lambs and goats and animals were sacrificed. But here's the thing. You had to bring it. You had to find it or buy it or raise it. You had to bring it with you to the temple. You had to hand it over. You had to watch that animal lose its life because of your sin. But see, those sacrifices were insufficient. If you read the Old Testament and you look at the Old Law, you see all types of sacrifice. You're hopefully going to read the Bible reading plan in 2023. I hope you did it in 2022. One thing you'll quickly notice is how much blood was shed under that covenant, under the Old Covenant. You read Exodus and Leviticus and you see sin offerings and guilt offerings and peace offerings and burnt offerings You see, the Passover lamb, which was the annual celebration of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, God's people from slavery, and God required that lamb to be unblemished and unbroken. And yet every single sacrifice was of our effort, something we had to do. But Jesus is different. I don't exactly remember the time, but I'll never forget 
the experience. I was sitting in communion as we were partaking of the Lord's Supper, and I was listening to the person giving a thought and leading a prayer, and this particular one was for the bread, and he offered the prayer, and and then I partook of the lid, and I ripped it, and I just habitually dumped it into my hand. The problem was I had it inverted. And so in my hand was an ounce of grape juice that I'm trying very carefully not to spill on my white shirt. Now that's a silly little thing of a symbolic but meaningful meal. But, but do you understand how much blood was spilt on the hands of priests and of people? How much blood was spilt on their shawls and on their feet? How much blood ran down the side of the altar? And, And those were lambs from us. Those were ones that we provided. But you'll see that those lambs were insufficient to the task. Jesus is a different kind of lamb, you see. He's from God. He's not from us. And so as a lamb, he wasn't just a sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. And he wasn't just the sacrifice, he was the perfect sacrifice. John says, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the old covenant's called on us to spill blood and to make the offerings ourselves. And yet for all of the blood spilt... For all of the blood there at the temple, none of it, not a single drop, not all of it, if you could amass it all up in one place at one time, none of it could fully cleanse or atone. Because all of it was from us, all of it was lambs from us, all of it was our sacrifices and our labor and our effort, and all of that is lacking. The problem, you see, is described perfectly in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, the lambs of the old covenant were sacrificed as punishment, as a form of divine justice for God to be fully just A price had to be paid for our sin. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first act of grace that God did for sinful Adam and Eve is create for them not fig leaves of their own making, but skins, animal skins, which meant, of course, that a sacrifice had to be made. A perfect, more lasting sacrifice to cover their nakedness and their shame. The lambs of the old system were sacrificed in punishment, but the Lamb of God was different. You see, very, very different. He was sacrificed for payment, full and complete for our sins. 
As Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. We read that in in the English, it is finished. In the Greek, it's simply one word, tetelesta. And that word, if you don't know Greek, simply means paid in full. May we listen to and hear again John's call to behold the Lamb of God. Not, not a lamb from animals, imperfect and incomplete, but the Lamb of God who left heaven to dwell among men. Not a lamb from us that we offered from our futile and insignificant efforts, but a lamb from God himself, perfect and final. He wasn't the first lamb that was ever slain, but he was the final lamb freely and fully offered for our sin. Pierced and crushed for us. You see, you and I take for granted that we don't have to make a sacrifice. You and I take for granted that we don't have to raise a little lamb and take it to the temple to be sacrificed for our sin. We don't have to do that. As insufficient as that sacrifice was, it's no longer necessary because Jesus paid the ultimate price. Jesus was not the first Passover lamb, but he is the final, perfect, unbroken, unblemished Passover lamb who bore the wrath of God on Passover to save our lives and to free us from slavery. He wasn't a lamb of partial sacrifice whose blood could not atone, but a perfect sacrifice given for you and for I, that we could have eternity with God. And he is the promise of heaven. You read, if you look up the word lamb in the scriptures, where is it repeated most often in the book of Revelation? Again and again, the centerpiece of heaven is the lamb of God. May we behold him on this Christmas day. May we not get caught up in the tiny things, but may we do the big things that John called us to, to behold the Lamb of God. If you look in John chapter 1 again, and you go down to verse 35, which is just six verses later, there's something interesting. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. My challenge to you this morning is, have you followed Jesus? It's one thing to believe he's the Lamb. It's another thing entirely to follow the Lamb. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do so, to yield your life to the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the centerpiece of heaven. May we behold him, not just here, but in our hearts as well. There's a song that goes, and we're not going to sing it, but it goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God, the life and light of men. Behold the Lamb of God who died and rose again. This morning, if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus,
Christmas Day, perfect day to do that. You can begin that journey by putting him on in baptism, by saying, I'm going to follow him for my whole life, for the rest of my life. And if you're ready to do that this morning, our shepherds would be more than pleased and honored to introduce you to the Lamb. They will be at the back, and during this next song, you can go to the back, and they can show you how to do that. Or if you have a public need of this congregation, we'd be glad to help you in any way. Whatever need you might have, please head to the back now if you have a need. Let's stand and sing.